the Irish Times business podcast in association with Irish Life. Eight of the top ten Irish companies choose to do business with us. We know Irish Life. We are Irish Life. Hello and welcome to the Irish Times Business Podcast. This is Wednesday, December 16th. I'm Kieran Hancock. And on this week's show, we'll be looking at AIB's capital reorganisation, which will result in the bank beginning to repay some of the 20.8 billion euros of bailout funds it received from taxpayers. But we're going to start by teasing out the implications of a likely interest rate rise by the Federal Reserve in the US. The Fed's decision is due at around 7pm Irish time and would mark the first rate rise since 2006. Joining me in the studio to discuss the implications of such a move are Conor McQuilla of Davy Stockbrokers and Arthur Beasley, Economics Editor of the Irish Times. Conor, we might start with you. What are you expecting from the Fed later? <laughs> well, no different to anyone else. Uh, 25 basis points and... Um if that doesn't happen, um, It'd be a major it's been so well communicated at this point, people will actually be angry if it doesn't happen. Uh, I suppose the issue is really that, you know, the US economy is at a place where, you know, it feels like rates at zero aren't appropriate. Unemployment's at 5%, wage growth is picking up. And just last week we saw core inflation, which takes out oil, um, pick up to 2%. So it looks like they're there. And I suppose central bankers are looking back to kind of 2008, um, less so the Fed, but people like the Bank of England, where I used to work, uh, and uh, the ECB. And when oil was $165 per barrel, inflation was 5% in Europe, in the UK. They had rates at you know, 4 or 5%. And then we saw the biggest U-turn in monetary policy um, in the last 30, 40 years. And I think what's the danger now is that with low oil prices at $40 per barrel, inflations aren't officially weak, and central bankers aren't seeing the inflationary pressures around the corner. And if they wait too long, in a year's two time, in a year from now, two years from now, maybe we'll have to raise rates even faster um, than people expect. So I think it's good to see the Fed finally get on with it and get the first rate rise over and done with, and um, that's where we are. There are some suggestions in the US, though, that the, the industrial sector is uh, is struggling a little, and, and perhaps this might be just a bit too soon. Um, well, it is. Um, you, US exports aren't doing particularly well. You'd expect that given where the dollar is at the moment. Um, you look at the US household sector, they've done a lot more work than the UK or even Ireland. Uh, in terms of getting household debt down, it's around 105% of disposable incomes. In Ireland, it's 165, 170. So it looks like the UK, US household sector can take it. Uh, and that means consumer spending can continue to drive uh, the US recovery, even though exports and industry aren't doing quite as well as um, maybe people would like. Arthur, it's only a 0.25% increase off a zero base. Not a lot. As a it's not a lot. It's not said. a lot. Um, it's more symbolic than anything else, really, isn't it? Well, it's extraordinary. I mean, I mean, the, the, the US has not intru- increased interest rates since uh, 2006. We're now practically a decade later. And uh, these are rock bottom rates, just a little bit, tiny bit above zero uh, in historic terms, really, 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 really very low. And these are extraordinary conditions. And it's in the interest of any central bank after providing so much stimulus for so long to start a gradual manoeuvre back towards something approaching normality. Now, the expectation is this is going to be very gradual indeed. Uh, The sense was that the Fed, in in advance of its October meeting, was going to move. It pulled back, but now the signalling is that they're going to go at it. But, I mean, the expectation is a quarter-point increase. It's uh, not huge. It's not huge, no. Uh, Conor, what will the ripple effects be for bond markets and equities? Uh, well, it's not going to be good for bond markets. Even in the United States, they're only pricing in two quarter-point rises by the end of 2016. So, uh, you know, the issue is, is you know, will the pace of tightening uh, be faster 
uh, than people expect. Um, I think people tonight will be looking at not so much the rate decision itself, but what the Fed has to say about the likely pace of tightening. But I suppose the last five years have shown us that you know central banks can be equally as wrong about where the economy is, go- is going as anyone else. And if there is more inflation, if wage growth picks up, if you see the unemployment rate continue to fall, then maybe something a little bit nastier is going to happen uh, in terms of rate hikes over the next 12 months. And certainly from my perspective now, as someone who looks at asset prices and managing money, uh, you know, what we ask ourselves is if rates do increase faster than people expect, what will happen? And certainly in past episodes during the mid-90s, there are periods when you get asset prices, equity markets correcting um, much more than people expect around the timing of um, uh, these rate hikes. But having said that, the bigger picture is that with economic growth picking up with companies delivering er- delivering earnings, equity prices actually tend to rise over the longer term as the Fed raises A lot of it's rates. probably already been priced in, I would have thought. I mean, this is a pretty well-flagged rate hike. Yeah, I don't think there's going to be any great um, response overnight uh, when this happens. There's not going to be any great shock. I suppose some of the issues are that a lot of the quantitative easing that the Fed did printing money, that ended up in some of the more exotic areas of the world, um, the likes of uh, Australia, perhaps, uh, Chinese uh, property markets. And a lot of these um, markets are reliant on this easy flow of money globally. And as the Fed begins to tighten, it's those kind of areas, those emerging market currencies that might get really hurt. And you've certainly seen a lot of managers of money equities take money away from those areas and seeing their currencies fall in value against the dollar. So there's, I think if anyone's worried about a potential landmine here, it's going to be in some of those emerging markets and those sort of frothy property markets in, in Asia or South America. And what about the Eurozone? What impact is it going to have on the Eurozone? Uh, the Euro may well depreciate further. Um, you know, Mario Draghi obviously disappointed markets who wanted to see more bond buying now rather than uh, in 20, late 2016. Um, you know, the Euro does look quite undervalued. You know, most estimates of purchasing power parity would be 120, maybe 130. Uh, where it is now is exceptionally weak. And if we do see a rate rise and any kind of hawkish statement from, from the Fed this evening, that will hurt the euro and make going abroad for Irish people more expensive. Arthur, what are the implications for Ireland? Because we've had a very strong wind at our back over the last uh, nine, 12 months. And you can see that in the GDP figures uh, at the minute, 7% growth in the first nine months of, of this year. So what's this rate hike by the, the Fed going to mean for Ireland? Uh, I, th- I think it tends to kind of a fan the the lower value of the euro. Yes, it's more expensive for Irish people to go abroad outside the eurozone. That's very, very good for Irish exports. And that includes both the multinational sector and the indigenous sector. And it essentially means that where these companies are exporting goods out of the eurozone into the dollar area or into sterling, that uh, they're essentially getting more money. And that, you know, the the euro is down and the fact that you get uh, a very modest uh, very likely now, a very modest re- incre- interest rate increase in the US, that would suggest that there'd be further pressure on the euro. And that's, a, you know, from the perspective of the Irish macro economy, if you like, that's a good thing because it basically, it makes those exports, the, the Irish exports are getting more bang for their buck, essentially. Okay. Connell, does it have any implications for oil prices, which are very low at the minute? Uh, well, with a stronger dollar, you'd expect um, oil prices go down in dollar terms. Uh, not on it, not in itself. Um, you know, the, the fact that the Fed is willing to raise rates is because they think the U.S. 
is it strong enough to actually take it? And that suggests the world economy is actually getting stronger. There's a great phrase that when the US uh, sneezes, the world mm. global economy catches a cold. Well, the same happens in reverse. And if the Fed is raising rates, it suggests that, you know, you might see global oil demand pick up a little bit more quickly than people expect. But, uh, you know, certainly people are extremely bearish on oil at the moment. You know, talk of $20 per barrel even, uh, given the uh, oversupply at the moment and the kind of stocks that are in the system. So, um, in, in short, no. But <laughs> okay. And lower oil prices are, are good for the Irish economy. Well, that's, another, that's another dimension here. I mean, the, the, the uh, reduction in the price of oil makes it cheaper to fill the car, makes it cheaper for companies to fill trucks, to run industrial plant, all the rest of it. And essentially, it's the same as a lower interest rate. And, you know, when you take the low value of uh, the euro, when you take the low value of oil, when you take the fact that eurozone interest rates are at rock bottom levels, and you take the fact that Mario Draghi is flooding the eurozone with uh, his all, all, all of this cheap money, that in turn makes it easier for the Irish government to, bo- to borrow on private bond markets. So there's a confluence, if you like, of uh, very positive factors in the global economy which are making it easier to turn the turn around the Irish economy. Uh, Connell, would you concur? Um, yes, I would. But I suppose the really big issue here with the, um, the rate rise today is that a lot of economists do think that this is far too early. Like if you look at most countries, CPI inflation is still zero. And we've just come out of an extraordinarily large debt crisis. There's a lot of debt still around. And, uh, you know, there is a feeling if we think the economy works as normal, uh, in terms of you know, growth causing inflation, wage growth to pick up. And we're, we're seeing that um, now is the time to start raising interest rates rather than having to hike them very quickly in one or two years' time. But there, I think there is a sort of um, uneasiness that overall this recovery has still been associated with quite weak inflation. And with what's happening in China at the moment with the move away from exports into uh, consumer spending and services, that really there's very little inflationary pressure out there and that really we risk um, not allowing uh, the global economy to inflate its way out of a, uh, a very difficult uh, period associated with very high debts by raising interest rates too early. So this is very uncertain. But there is a, a separate uh, view out there that, you know, the lack of inflation is the lack of inflation and we shouldn't be raising rates when CPI inflation is close to zero in pretty much every economy in the world. What's your expectation on ECB uh, interest rates? When do you think they might begin to look at increasing them? Um, well, look, I think it's very hard to even start talking about that at the moment when, you know, the markets were expecting quantitative easing uh, and the ECB itself is committed to keep on doing it until March 2017. As I was saying, though, is that if wages are picking up, if the US economy drags the rest of the global economy with it, if oil prices stop falling, then, you know, central banks typically over the last 20 years have got things wrong. They cut very, very quickly. They hike more quickly. And if we get to that point, you know, maybe the ECB, once the European economy begins to pick up a bit further, when oil prices stop pushing down and see by inflation, maybe they have to raise far more quickly than markets currently expect. But at the moment, the curve suggests no rate hikes until 2019, 2020. Well, Arthur, is this the end of the era of free money or the beginning um, of the end of the era of free money? Well, if, if it's a beginning, it's a beginning with a, with a, a whimper. Um, this is not a... Small B you know, rather than yeah, capital B. Very, very much so. I mean, I think there's no expectation, as Connell is saying, that the, that the ECB is going to move anytime soon. I mean, if there is a progressive a succession of, of interest rate increases in the US, who knows, maybe the Bank of England might follow. But, uh, you know, I think for the moment, the expectation is that, uh, you know, the Fed is going to move. It'll move at a very modest pace. And uh, then we just have to see... What 
what kind of language there is around uh, their long-term or medium-term intentions. Connell? Yeah, I suppose I must kept sound very um, strange to people who had mortgages in the 1980s and the 1990s to hear people get worried about a quarter percent uh, increase in uh, mortgage rates. People who might uh, have been paying 12, 14%. Exactly, and you know that was when inflation was out of control as well. And I suppose stepping back from all of that, uh, the bigger point over the past two decades is that we've had a lot of people saving. Um, that might sound certainly not in Ireland. We certainly went on a, a spending boom. Uh, but in China, binge. a borrowing binge. But in China, they have um, very, very high savings rates. And one of the features of the sort of ageing population is that more and more people are saving for the retirement. So that excess saving in the global economy is being, means that a lot of funds and a lot of money has to find a home in terms of investment. And that's pushing down the cost of borrowing uh, for younger generations. Um, so um, I know people are focused on the Fed this evening, but it's sort of those global factors. China, very high saving there. The older population, say in Germany. Uh, in particular, where they're saving for their retirement. That's what's really pushing down the cost of borrowing very, very sharply uh, and has done over the past 10 years. Yeah. Conal, I can't let you go without asking you uh, for some predictions for 2016 for the Irish economy. We've had this phenomenal uh, growth in the first nine months of this year. A lot of people are asking whether this is sustainable or not. Um, I think Is it real? I think before you say you, you ask that question, the GDP growth rates are you know look pretty spectacular. But if you take a step back and look at the labour market, the unemployment rate is still far too high. The level of employment is still nine percent of its pre-recession peak. So your starting point should be that this is pretty early on in the recovery, and it'd be pretty depressing to think we can't get the unemployment rate down further uh, from nine percent. I think some of the tailwinds from uh, for growth this year will go away. The euro won't see another enormous depreciation, which helps exports. Um, but really, it's really been the first year that the domestic economy, things like consumer spending, uh, indigenous companies beginning to look for credit at a very, very modest pace, it has to be said. Uh, and I think next year, with the tax cuts coming, you'll see the domestic economy play more of a role and maybe exports decelerate a little bit. But having said that, the pharmaceutical sector, all those ICT companies like Google, LinkedIn, Facebook, they are doing tremendously well. There's no sign of that stopping anytime soon. And those could continue to push our GDP growth rates uh, to be extremely high. But again, if you look at the labour market, the unemployment rate is coming down at a very solid, consistent pace. I think you'll see that continue next year. OK, Colin McCullough, Arthur Beasley, thank you for joining us. At Irish Life, we can tell you that 49% of employees in Ireland don't think about tomorrow. They don't have a pension plan. We can help you help them. Because if you're involved in running your company's pension plan, we can administer it for you. With our member-specific investment solutions, online access for employers, trustees and members, and always-on smartphone apps. Just call one of our corporate team on 01704-1845. Visit irishlifecorporatebusiness.ie or contact your pension consultant to find out how we can help your company think of tomorrow. We know Irish Life. We are Irish Life. Irish Life Assurance PLC is regulated by the Central Bank of Ireland. All information source for Irish Life September 2014. Now, in a first for the Irish Times Business Podcast, I'm going to hand over the presenting duties to Arthur Beasley, who will interrogate me about AIB's capital reorganisation and what it will mean in the long term for taxpayers and shareholders. Arthur, over to you. Uh, thank you very much indeed, Kieran. It's always good to be engaged in novel developments on this podcast. So, Kieran, uh, what's going on today? There's an EGM of Allied Irish Banks. The bank is more than 99% owned by the government. So why do they have to have an EGM and what exactly is at issue? Okay, so 
AIB received a 20.8 billion euro bailout uh, from the government post the crash in 2008. As you say, that gave the government a 99.8% stake in the bank. They're now planning a capital reorganisation which will pave the way for a, a stock market IPO, a return to the main market on the stock exchange, if you like, and will also allow them for the first time to repay some capital to the state. The EGM was required today legally because they still have a listing on the junior ESM market in Dublin and they say they have to follow market listing rules by uh, basically putting it to all of the shareholders and uh, putting it to a vote. Now, rather bizarrely, given that the Minister for Finance has already made it very clear that he's supporting the proposal and he's very happy with it, they decided to take a poll on the 12 resolutions that were put to shareholders today. Um, So we won't get the results till about uh, for another couple of hours, uh, essentially. We know the results, but we won't formally get them for another couple of hours. It's a rather curious way of going about things. But anyway, that's the way they decided. The Minister of Finance will be voting on block. Oh, totally, totally. That's a given. I mean, he has already come out and said he's very happy with this proposal. He's supported and it has been approved by the single supervisory mechanism in Frankfurt, which is the regulator for AIB. So essentially what today's EGM was all about was uh, it was a platform for shareholders to vent some spleen about the losses they've incurred to date if they were in before 2008. Um, or for uh, because one of the measures which is included in this capital reorganisation is a restructuring of the share base. Um, to reduce the number of shares that are in issue. So uh, if you have 250 shares in AIB today, you're going to get one new share for those 250. It'll have the effect of reducing the number of shares in issue to 2.7 billion euro. Another element of the reorganisation is um, the government gave 3.5 billion euro to AIB and received some preference shares in return. This was post the crash. Um, And what's going to happen is AIB is going to redeem 1.7 billion euros of the preference share. So it's going to give a check to the government for 1.7 billion euro. And it's going to um, convert the balance into new ordinary shares, which will give um, to the government. That will have the effect. They're they're going to be converted at a rate of 1.7 cent a share. So that effectively puts a new floor on the share price of AIB. And earlier today, when the AGM was underway, the shares were trading at three and a half pence. So if somebody bought a share in AIB at, let's say, 11 a.m. this morning while the AGM was underway, if they bought 100 shares at three and a half pence each, they're facing the prospects that from next Monday morning, those shares are effectively only worth 1.7 cent each. Not a very wise investment. Not a very wise investment. To be fair to AIB and the, the Minister for Finance, they've been warning investors for some time now, for well over a year, that they really should not be buying shares in AIB. Retail investors shouldn't go near it because the shares were overvalued. Well, it, it is. It has actually been quite interesting because we, we, we have heard the Minister for Finance, who owns most of this bank, state quite public, publicly that people should not be putting their money into it. Yeah, that's right. And I mean, a lot of people, retail investors, look, some of them, I suppose, just not very sophisticated investors, maybe. They see AIB as a proxy for the recovering Irish economy and they think, actually, it's only three and a half cent a share. I'll, I'll bail in, I'll buy a thousand shares, whatever. I'll stick them in the bottom of the drawer, so they'll be worth a fortune in years to come. Well, in fact, uh, come Monday morning, they're going to be worth about half. Effectively, they're going to be worth about half what they paid for them. Not good. Now, when is the government going to get the 1.7 billion? Will they get the money by the end of this year, or will they have to wait until? Oh, very much by the end of this year. In fact, I would expect them to get it tomorrow, Thursday. Uh, I think the check will be handed over, and the um, the the minister is due to speak at an event uh, being co-hosted by AIB and the Strategic Banking Corporation uh, of Ireland. And they're they're setting sovereign wealth fund essentially. Yeah, and the SPCI is giving more money to AIB to lend out to the Irish economy. And at this event, the minister 
Minister for Finance is going to speak and I think he's going to make clear the fact that they have paid over the money and this is, you know, he, he's going to, I, I think he'll give some details on where he expects the journey to go from here in terms of uh, AIB going back to the stock market and what other funds might be returned to the state in, in the near term. Now, we'd expect these proceeds to be used to pay down debt. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I mean, there, there's, I think there's an unofficial agreement, if you like, with the Troika that any money that comes from the sale of bank shares, um, uh, any repayment of capital, if you like, uh, will be used to pay down national debt. Um, any money that the government gets by way of fees for the guarantee that it gave um, to the banks or, uh, you know, interest coupons on the various instruments that were issued to the banks or the bank levy, for example, the annual bank levy, any of that money can go to the Exchequer for day-to-day spending. But any of the, the repayment of capital of the $20.8 billion that AIB uh, was given will have to go towards uh, repayment of national debt. And just on that point, actually, um, there are contingent capital notes of €1.6 billion. Euro. They're due, due to mature in July and the bank and the minister have already stated that um, that will happen, that maturity uh, will happen and the money will be paid over to the state. So that's another $1.6 billion in the bank. And in addition to paying the $1.7 billion from preference shares, I hope listeners are able to keep up with all of this, uh, tomorrow um, there'll also be an interest payment of $160 million relating to those shares as well. So, And the bank said today at the EGM that in various fees for the guarantee and the bank levy and this, that and the other, they've already paid the state €3 billion Euro since 2008. So we're starting... We're starting already to build up quite a substantial uh, repayment, if you like, from the bank. Now, but it's not clear. still a long way to go, Kieran, because, I mean, this, this is a bank which got the best part of $21 billion. And if there I, as, as you speak there, and if I do my thought, I mean, we're looking in the, you know, leaving aside the, the prospect of an IPO, and we'll come to that in a second, we're still talking about, you know, roughly, you know, $6 billion odd. Uh, of uh, a recap, a state recap of 21 billion. So there's another 15 billion to go. And these are vast sums. They are vast sums. And there's two issues uh, there, if you like. Bernard Byrne, the chief executive of AIB, was asked um, in a press huddle after the EGM whether the bank has said consistently and said it again today, both uh, Richard Pym, the chairman, and, and Bernard Byrne, the CEO, said it, that they expect AIB to repay all of the money um, over time. So they were asked, well, when you say you'll repay all of the money, do you mean all of the all of the capital of £20.8 will be repaid, plus all of the money you've paid for fees for the guarantee, the bank levy, and all of that kind of stuff? And as I say, they've paid, repay, they've paid £3 billion to date, in those kind of monies. Now, they were a little vague about that, uh, being frank. So uh, I'm not sure. And of course, there is a cost to the state of having lent that money to them. They had to borrow well, of a lot of that is. money and they're paying interest payments and so on. So, uh, you, you know, there's a cost. There's an extra cost to the state. The true cost is higher than 20.8 billion, put it that way. And, and if we stand back from this, I mean, this was allied Irish banks. This was a, you know, a signature institution in the Irish corporate landscape, uh, something of which, you know, which was a really, really, really big beast uh, in Irish business. And, you know, really, when you, when you look at it, were you to take out uh, Anglo-Irish Bank, which received a much larger recapitalization, if Anglo never existed and never had to be rescued, if Allied Irish Banks on its own had to be rescued, this would have constituted a huge affair in Irish business. It would have, yeah. It certainly would have been the biggest bailout by the Irish state. Although, ironically, um, uh, its bailout is probably less in financial terms than that of Ulster Bank by Royal Bank of Scotland, but that's a whole different kettle of fish. We won't well, that's, go there. That's, that's that was the UK else, taxpayer, <laughs> God bless them. Yes, absolutely. Um, and the other point um, made after the EGM and the press huddle was by Bernard Byrne, where he, he more or less said that he expects it will be five to ten years before the money is repaid. 
Well, that's a, again, and we're, we are many, many years into this. But I mean, as we as we come to the close of 2015, we look ahead into 2016. It's quite clear now that the plan of the government is to have an initial public offering to put IIB back on the stock markets of Dublin and London in a pretty big way. What is going to happen? What needs to happen first? And when are we to expect this? Okay. Well, they've said essentially that they're going to leave it till the next government. So um, we'll have to wait and see on the composition of the next government. But I think everybody expects that Fine Gael will lead the next government. Um, so that puts Michael Noonan in with a good chance of being the next Minister for Finance. He's indicated that his uh, preference would be for an IPO, as you mentioned, um, with probably 25% of the stock being floated on the Dublin and London stock markets. This will be offered to institutional investors. And the government is in uh, the the final throes of appointing some independent financial advisors to sort of kick off that uh, process. It's a long uh, process. It won't happen overnight, but this will be some months away. It depends on the timing of the general election. Let's presume there's a general election you know, around March, um, the the company February, will issue. Well, okay, February, yeah. February. Um, but the company, well, let's say the government gets formed in early March. Um, the company will issue its annual results probably in late Feb, early March, around that time. And once they have that out of the way, I think they they'll be they feel that they'll be able to demonstrate to the markets that those results will demonstrate that they have consistent uh, profitability ahead. Um, that the underlying business has recovered to such an extent that they can really, you know, they can forecast with some confidence that um, there there is a a growth path ahead, if you like, for the bank. So that's an important step along the way. So the expectation would be all things being equal with the election out of the way and everything else, probably a May IPO. If they, if they don't get it away um, late in the second quarter, then they're probably going to have to wait till September, October. Now, I interviewed Michael Noonan uh, a good many weeks ago now when uh, the government came back from the summer holidays and I asked him how much money the government was likely to uh, realise or the state was likely to realise by way of a flotation and uh, he said there'd be, and I quote him, he said there'd be a good lump of money anyway. Uh, What does he mean when he says a good lump of money? Well, we're talking billions. I mean, you know, whether it's three, four or five billion, we'll have to wait and see. It depends, obviously, on how they price it. It depends uh, also on the quantum that they give to the market. If there's a really strong demand, maybe they might give more than 25%. The indications are that they'll go with an initial 25%, but they could possibly offer more uh, if if there's strong enough interest. And AIB, uh, AIB's chairman, Richard Pym, made the point today to shareholders at the EGM that they had two debt issuances recently, very recently in the past uh, couple of weeks, and they were up to nine times oversubscribed. So there's a lot of international investor interest out there in the AIB story and in Ireland's economic recovery. So there could well be uh, a lot of uh, sufficient international investor interest to uh, possibly you know, um, result in the government giving more than the 25% away. But I, I think I would certainly expect something, something of the order of three or four billion and possibly a bit more. There's a bit of precedent here. Permanent TSB uh, was also 99 uh, point odd owned by the state and earlier this year as part of uh, a funding plan that they had to put in place for the regulators um, to meet capital requirements and um, the government sold a 25% stake and and got a big chunk uh, of money back um, some of the money back from uh, the, the bailout the 4 billion bailout that it gave to the old Irish life impairment so if we, if we take it, if we take a, a, you know, a, a sample figure of four billion here, what we're looking at is a scenario in which AIB will have, in, in a sense, uh, with a good, fair wind behind it, will have returned roughly 10 billion to the Irish Exchequer, uh, almost half of the 21 billion it received. 
Yes, now that would include the fees and of the course, bank levy and so on and so Absolutely. forth. Now, whether you count that money or not is another question. Sure. But the bank certainly would. Uh, you know, Bank of Ireland did um, when it was talking about having repaid the state in full and more. It was certainly including all of those guarantee fees and bank levies and, and so forth in, in that money. So this is a work in progress. There's a fair bit to go. But uh, for the moment, uh, it looks like AIB is back in business, essentially. Well, it's definitely back in. It's definitely back in profit. We know that um, it's growing again. I think there's uh, there's more of an air of confidence around the bank, but there's still a lot of issues there, Arthur. You know, I mentioned some of them in my column this morning. I mean, this is a bank that's been hollowed out. Um, with a lot of people have left the bank, thousands of people have left the bank. It's taken out 450 million euros worth of cost. So, for example, you wonder whether they have the right skill sets now for this growth phase that's uh, just ahead of them. You also wonder about the mortgage market. There are new macro prudential rules uh, introduced by the central bank. That's 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 holding back the mortgage market in Ireland. There's no doubt about that. There's also a lack of supply of new housing. So are they going to be able to do enough of the lending that they want to do into the Irish mortgage market? We'll have to wait and see uh, that. There are a few raised eyebrows at the fact that they've already uh, cut their estimates three times in the past 12 months. There was a bit of political pressure, but they probably didn't have to do it three times and certainly their competitors haven't done anything like that. Well, they certainly haven't and I say their customers are happy enough. The customers are happy, but it's bad for the bank's profits. They've they've probably lost about £125 million in, in profitability. Now, they had to give some of it up. There's no doubt that the Irish interest rates were too high, the SVRs were too high, but did they have to give all of it up? So it, it'll be very interesting to see how that story plays out. There are going to be different pressures brought to bear uh, on AIB when it's a listed company. Institute Institutional investors um, won't be terribly enamoured at them giving away their profit um, to, to customers in reduced interest rates. Uh, you know, while the politicians obviously want it, and the state will still be a majority shareholder post uh, post the IPO. So there's, it's going to be very interesting to see how it plays out. And of course, all of this AIB is a pure play on the Irish recovery story. Unlike Bank of Ireland, it doesn't have the same kind of diversification in the UK. The, uh, Bank of Ireland has a very big deposit book in the UK through its uh, its joint venture with the, the UK Post Office and its relationships with the AA and so forth. It has a lot of distribution there. So it has some fallback option if the Irish economy isn't going too well. AIB has no fallback option. The Irish economy is is going like a steam train at the moment but uh, if things if it starts to come off the tracks a little bit because of external factors we know how open an economy it is uh, if multinationals pull back if um, the euro starts to go if exports fall off all of that kind of stuff if all of that starts to happen then um, you know there, there, there could be trouble ahead A lot of moving parts in that picture Kieran Hancock thank you very much you've been listening to the Irish Times Business Podcast I'm Arthur Beasley earlier you listened to Kieran Hancock and together we were joined by Conal McQuilla tune in again next time and thanks for listening